Welcome to Complete Edition, the podcast between a PlayStation Trophy Hunter and an Xbox Achievement Hunter. This is episode 33. I'm your host, Compulsive Nerd, and I'm joined by AJ. How you doing, AJ? I'm doing well. Things are, things are going okay. I'm moving in a couple of weeks again for the next academic year, so I'm taking uh, next week off to like get everything sorted for that. You know, make sure the place I'm leaving is clean and that I've got all the stuff packed, you know, move, move some stuff around, leave some stuff for the day, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. But yeah. I'm not moving very far. I'm just moving like down to another block in like the same, I guess, like complex that I currently live in. So, but the annoying thing is, is the lift doesn't work um, oh, right now. No. It hasn't for a long time at this point. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to go down the stairs with like my TV and my PC and that's, not going to be fun. Uh, my parents are coming to help, so it should be okay with like three of us. And it's only I'm on the second floor, so it's not. It, it could be a lot worse because I think there's three floors or four floors on this building. So it's not that bad, but it's going to be annoying if it's not fixed. It's going to take a while, obviously. But yeah, I'm I'm doing well. Things are. I, I feel that struggle right now in terms of work and gaming and i feel much more invigorated i still feel like i'm on a on a good trend in terms of playing a lot of games so yeah it's going well me too i feel that way too but i feel the struggle man with your with your moving because like i i am on the third floor and it's been one of the reasons that i moved here and i moved in here in may and it's like one of the reasons like i might stay another year because it's like i don't want to move my shit up and down three floors again that's that sucks (laughs) it sucks and like we don't have lifts here it just is all manual I actually hired a moving company to move like my my furniture up the stairs because that's like just too much. Like you need professionals for that, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. I'm but, glad my TV, my TV's, I think, 40, 48 or 42 inches or something. It's like the smallest size for the, the TV I have. I have the, I have the 55 inch. Before they introduce. The, yeah. I'm like, I'm glad it's that because if it was if it was any bigger, it would be really bad. <laughs> um, yeah. There'd be there'd be no way. Yeah, but I, I, I also uh, kind of relate with the academic year. My my school is about to pick up, and I'm really excited because uh, I only have one class this semester, but it's like I, I took two, and then one of the classes didn't have enough people that signed up, so they just canceled it, and I was like, damn. I, re- I was really looking forward to it because like, I'm, go- I'm trying to go back to school for surgery tech, and they had a introduction to surgery tech class, and I was like, oh, that sounds literally perfect for me because, I mean, I can get introduced to the whole thing as, as I – apply for this program because I only have one prerequisite before I get into the program uh, left and and I was like okay so we'll just do that and then it got canceled so I'm only taking one class but I should be back in the fall or in the spring so fall spring and then I should be starting the program next fall and that's the plan but it's like that ap- that academic year that you were talking about it's just like it's beginning for me so yeah nothing uh, nothing changes for me because as a PhD student I just work like the whole year like I yeah. get holidays and stuff, but there is no like clear semesters or anything like that. You just you just right. come in like Monday to Friday. Yeah, yeah, I mean when it when it starts the academic year, it just means it's more busy in the department and around campus because people have come back. So I kind of prefer the quieter times, I think. But it does mean the new academic year means that you get opportunities to so in chemistry you can demonstrate in the undergraduate labs and help people out with experiments and there's also sometimes opportunities to do some like mentoring and tutoring and stuff like that so that's pretty cool and you get extra money for that so you get paid for it which is which is nice and also helpful in terms of like career development and confidence and that kind of thing so yeah there's some advantages some disadvantages but 
I'd say mostly disadvantages because of the the crowds of people and yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've uh I've also I don't know, I've been in and out of gaming moods lately, but uh I continued to play games and I got three platinums in the, since the last time we talked. But what I did last night, which is something that was unordinary for me, and that's I I uh I watched the House of Dragons, House of the Dragon last night. Did you watch that? No, I've not seen Game of Thrones, so I'm not oh, really are you big on fantasy at all? Not particularly. And I oh, heard okay. they really, really dropped the ball with Game of Thrones, so I was kinda like, yeah. I was I was kind of into it. I, I think if they stuck the landing, I'd probably The journey's still really fun. I yeah, would say like I, I can understand that. But I mean I've got like so many different recommendations for that show that no one seems to agree on it except for the like the ending's bad. Like I've had oh, oh you wanna watch until this point and then stop or like Yeah. You wanna you wanna <laughs> do this and and everyone has like a different point for that. So yeah. I was thinking of maybe reading the books. Because oh yeah, I've heard they're just like good, like just flat out good. There's no like oh it you know it falls off a cliff at this point, except for that there isn't you know that the series isn't finished and might not ever get finished. But so yeah, so I've never really been into it. That's why I don't know. It's kind of a very weird situation. Is like you know people tell you to watch up to a certain point, and it's like that's because there's a certain point where the books don't continue and they continue the show, and it's like that's. That's where the show was good was when when it was with the books and now they're doing a prequel show and that book has been written. So this show that they're doing now, they're not off the cuff again. They're not just like shooting from the hip. They're using, you know, the material, which is not going to make this show so much better than <laughs> the way it, it ended. Yeah, it, it feels awkward because I feel like that type of show or, or that type of fiction, like this fantasy epic with different houses and like clans and groups of people. I yeah. feel like that type of thing is like always building up towards something, you know, because it's like different factions making different moves at different oh, times, yeah. right? And politics oh, yeah. and stuff like that. So it's kind of like one of the worst kinds of things to then mess up because it's like it's all about how it builds up towards something, right? And so then yes. if that something ends up being underwhelming, it, it's kind of even more disappointing. But there's, it's so, it's such a large world that like with all of the seasons, they're all wrapped up pretty nicely. It's just that, yes, the lin- the landing at the very end is not. It just, ugh, I don't know. It left it left a bad taste in my mouth. And plus, it was really bad. Like the the way it was shot, it's not Kino. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it, it's well, there was the, that thing where one, they left like a Starbucks coffee in one of the shops. Yes, oh, that was, exactly. That was That's what we we've. I was I actually did like a watch party for the House of the Dragon last night and. We were like, well, there was no Starbucks cups in this one, you know, like <laughs> it's like that's a that's a positive. But it's yeah, it's it's a really good show. But that like that final season, there's an episode where a big fight happens and it's so fucking dark, dude. It's way too dark. It Like you can't see anything that's happening. And whenever they did um, when they first launched it, it was like all pixelated and shit. And it was so it was pixelated and dark. Couldn't see anything. It was horrible. That was absolutely terrible. But it was like that's that's kind of where like so many people kind of were like, damn, they uh, fucked this up. They fucked this up pretty bad. I finished but. watching uh, a show that did end very well, which was uh, Better Call Saul. Oh, that show's fantastic. That's probably I have my never seen Game of Thrones TV or not Game of Thrones. Uh, Breaking Bad. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, I think Better Call Saul's better than Breaking Bad, but they're both very good. Whoa, I highly recommend both of them. But I mean, Better Call Saul is my favorite TV show ever. So I mean, it, it like has to be better than Breaking Bad by by yeah. definition, I suppose. At that point, but yeah, really, really good ending was really good. 
everything about it's really good. I hope it wins a bunch of awards, but it probably won't because I don't know. The Emmys don't seem to like them very much. Well, they they nominate them for a bunch of stuff, but they never win. So it's like one of those shows. But Sting, yeah. Sting on this TV topic, I told you I was kind of like in and out of games, and I don't want to talk about my games completely, but because I kind of want to hear what you've been playing a lot, because it's like we haven't talked in so long, and I'm really curious. But I was playing Ghostwire, and that game, dude, I didn't like it very much. Like it very mid. It has like three attacks, and then it has a whole bunch of like. Can you change your you change your profile picture to that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's that been game. a theme that I'm doing. Is like when I play a new game, I'm just going to start changing my. Oh, my it's just book. unfortunate that you sort of started with like that game. Yeah. Right? Well, like it, it's it, because obviously people people see it as an endorsement, you know, initially, right? Right. You know, because most people have they'll have like pictures of things that represent their personality or something they they really like. Yeah. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. But I'm I, I play so many different games that I'm like I'm gonna start changing this because it stays stagnant for a long time. My profile picture does, and uh, I mean for a long time I had Geralt, and that's like my favorite game of all time. So switching to something else like that right off the bat for the first one, it does send that impression yeah. that it's like I yeah love I that think game. I think it's a good idea. I, I've wanted to change my pictures for a while. I mean it's it's tough to get something that like encom- It's hard to get an image to encompass sort of all of your words. I guess like it. It's right. not really, yeah, it's not easy. I, I also played uh, MLB The Show, and I'll, again, I'll talk about all this stuff later, but I thought about like taking a screenshot on my PS5 and then uploading that photo so that I could use like the created character that I had as my profile picture. Like I really did think about doing that, and I was like, oh, it's so much work though. <laughs> but back to Ghostwire, there's like over like 500 collectibles in the game. It's, it's really a real grind collectible fest, and the thing about it is, I wanted that like I, I didn't know that how much I wanted that I kind of just wanted to kick back I t- I put like TV on my phone and was just kind of like watching episodes of stuff while I while I played the game and it's like I was having a ton of fun it doesn't make the game good <laughs> like that many collectibles just having a collectathon was what I needed but like I said it's it's just it's not that good <laughs> it's if you like and you want to learn about like Japanese culture I think that you should play it because it does teach a lot about their Japanese culture and like really cool items there and and all kinds of really cool stuff. But the gameplay is very barren. It's very repetitive. I assume, unfortunately, I probably won't like it because everything I've heard about it, I've heard, I've heard a lot of good things about it, but I've heard like the big thing is the gameplay gets very repetitive and doesn't, the mechanics don't sort of, they're not very deep and they don't develop enough for it to carry the, the time that you're playing it basically and there's there's not really that much variety in it and that seems to be the the weakness most or the the criticism most people have with it so but it's an unfortunate because i, I really love both of the evil within games but i'll play yeah, it when really... it comes to xbox and, and probably get the perfection on it but yeah it's uh it's cool that they tried something new i think i do too had, like, it, i really director. love tango like they're just they're a great studio and I think that the idea for the game was good, but I don't know what happened. <laughs> I yeah, don't know. What... I like the idea of, because obviously Shinji Mikami's been working on, like he worked for Capcom on like the really early Resident Evil games. So I like the idea of him having this new studio where it's like he, you know, is like director on, on a game and then sort of gives other people the chance to direct games and tries to develop talent and in Japan and in like horror games and that kind of thing. I think that's a really cool 
idea for a studio that you have someone with that level of experience sort of trying to train and coach other people to become game directors in that scene and have sort of the studio put a spotlight on those projects like i think that's a really nice system to have that you don't really see with other studios like normally normally studios like their big director is just their big director and that's it you know like they they just do project after project yeah but there's a show that i watched as a teenager called uh chuck and while i was playing ghostwire i turned that on and i was like i kind of would skip through it because like i don't know it's not that good of a show but it was like interesting to look back at the show that i I really enjoyed back then it's probably been like eight years or so since i've watched this show about seven or eight years and so i was like i mean the show was recorded in like uh, the late 2000s like 2000 early 2010s but it was interesting to see just how different things were but that's like that's what i had been doing a lot is just like watching tv on my phone and and mindlessly grinding games and and i really wanted to do that i, I don't know why it was just like a mood i was in but then last week i i kind of hit a new a new jump but kind of i just wanted to continue to say like yeah i've been i've been watching tv which is crazy it's like that's not what I normally do. I actually am not a big TV person. I'm not a big anything person. Anime and TV are like the most that I indulge in like that kind of stuff. But what have you been playing? Oh, I've been playing a ton of stuff. So, you know, ever, everyone prepare yourself for this uh, segment. because it's I'm gonna, so ready. I'm so ready. Okay. So I played Outer Wilds. Talked about it before. Uh, the game's fantastic. It might be in my top 10 of all time, like around number eight, number nine. But it, it's really tough doing a top 10 for games like stuff switches around depending on mood. And, and I feel like I need to do like a top 50 or something eventually. Eventually, I want to do like a top 100, but that'll take ages and I'll, I'll have to do some serious thinking about that kind of thing. But I like to I feel like in my top 10, I like to have a broad range of genres because I was thinking like I think with Prey and Bioshock, that's the one where I'm like. They're both in my top 10, but I'm like, I should probably remove one because they're not the same franchise, but they're very similar, if that makes sense. Like they're first person immersive. Well, Bioshock's not really an immersive sim, I guess, but they're like first person like shooter games where you, you know, you're going through like a sort of formerly idyllic facility that's been, you know, overrun and messed up and things have gone wrong and you're trying to figure out why they've gone wrong, right? So they're, they're quite similar games in terms of, some of their design DNA and it's like makes me feel like I love them both but I feel like I want my top 10 to have a diversity of genres and types of games rather than just being like one game because you could just have like you know you could just have a top 10 be like Halo 1, Halo 2, Halo 3 you know it's like and then then it's kind of boring to look at and you're not going to discover anything and it's also really redundant and that kind of thing so Outer Wilds kind of fits into that template quite well in that it's a very unique game. It's very different from anything else I've played. I can't really... There's not like a better Outer Wilds-like, if that makes sense. There's not like a better version of what that game is trying to do. It's kind of perfect in terms of what it is and what it's trying to do, and I really appreciate that. I think that's so valuable and so rare and i feel like you see it more in the indie space now than the triple a space typically where a game will do like a unique thing that you don't see from anything else and sort of design hasn't been thought about that way and it's it's quite risky and and not as safe and outer wilds feels like that in 
its scope and its density because it's quite the planets are quite small there's not massive amounts of uh, direction that you get in the game in terms of you know quest markers and and hud and that kind of thing you don't get you get like a log in your ship that's really useful but you're not you know and you, you're sort of prodded in different directions but it's up to you to explore and discover and the planets feel so dense and the main tool in that game is information in terms of what you learn changes your perception of the environment and that has an effect on both story and gameplay and i've never really seen a game use information in that way before there's no real upgrades that you get for example in the game you just sort of have your starting gear throughout and the way you discover how to get to the ending is just from picking up knowledge picking up information and going oh so that works like that and this is hidden here and and this is this and you know i didn't understand this before but now i do and and i can get through it and it's not i don't know it, it doesn't feel like a puzzle game it doesn't feel like things are gated off from you it feels natural like it feels like an aspect of the world it doesn't feel like there's a gate and it's like oh i need to solve this you know i need to enter in this password to get into this door or whatever it doesn't feel like that it feels like it it's you're gaining an understanding of like this natural solar system essentially and that's what enables your exploration and how you solve problems and you solve problems that you don't even know were problems and that kind of thing and it, it it's just such a mind bending and fascinating game and I, I have no idea how they did it as well because what's crazy is you can you can explore this game however you want in terms of where you choose to go to everyone will go to different planets and different areas first and it's not sort of locked away from you and you're essentially building up like this map in your mind and in the ship log of all of this information and it doesn't really matter what order you do it in you'll still sort of go along like a path to the to the ending it's so it's so hard to describe because it's like the game's so open-ended and you have so much freedom but in the end it's ultimately linear in terms of like there is like a set goal, there is a set ending and you don't know what that set goal is at the start of the game. So it's it's so masterful how you can go down that path even though you're not being like railroaded down a path. You, you're you doing things of your own accord and of your own ambition and sense of adventure and that kind of thing. So yeah, th- there's one or two things about the game where some of the timings can be quite tricky and awkward. And I think that is maybe a bit frustrating, but, and there's one planet where I'm like, oh, this maybe isn't as good as the rest of them in terms of how it works mechanically. It can be a little annoying, but it's really hard to find faults with this game for me. And I also played the DLC, the Echoes of the Eye DLC. It's really good. It's fantastic and also feels like a unique sort of piece added onto the game, but I'm not sure it was necessary it has like a really different tone from the original game that makes it like stand standalone quite well. Like it almost is like, it feels like a standalone. It could be a standalone experience, even though it is a DLC and you're sort of focused on like one new planet essentially for the whole DLC. And the stuff that you learn feels, it feels connected to the main game, but only I'd say slightly. It's more about this new like alien species and how they like found their way to the solar system and what they were looking for and that kind of thing and their understanding their technology and their culture and that kind of thing so it feels like it's kind of separate and it has some really interesting stuff mechanically and it feels a bit more obviously because it's only one main location it's a lot more linear than 
the rest of the game because you're not going like place to place. You're just going to this one place and finding stuff there. But the sense of discovery is still there. The creativity, it's it's crazy. It's also got some horror elements to it. The main game does, but the main game mostly, there's some stuff in the main game that's definitely scary and sort of intentionally scary. And and I mean scary in like, you know, the Outlast sense of like scary, like there's, you know, big, big scary things are in Outer Wilds, but mostly the, the fear from the regular Outer Wilds is sort of an existential fear, a sort of loneliness tinged fear, or a, um, a more like, I guess, celestial type fear, which is really interesting. It's, it's, it's very quiet and isolating and makes you think about the nature of things, I suppose. And, and yeah, it's, it's difficult to talk about without, I guess, going into too much detail, I'd say, but the DLC is different in the, the sort of some of the horror elements are more front and center in that. And it's more in your face about some stuff. So it's definitely different and feels like it has its own, its own place. And like, its own identity. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. With that game, uh, you talked about, you know, kind of how open it is and where players will go and like their journey being so different, but then also being linear. Is that game very much trial and error? No, it's more. So you'll typically go some. It's sort of like, I guess one example is like you'll go somewhere, you'll see something like geological that's interesting or weird. So I guess like minor spoilers, I guess I'll talk about. Uh, one of the closest planets, Brittle Hollow. It's a planet where there's a black hole in the middle of it. And then there's this like orbiting moon, but the moon is made out of lava and has volcanoes and the volcanoes erupt out like volcanic rock. And that hits into the surface of the planet of Brittle Hollow and it knocks pieces of the planet into the black hole in the center. So like, that's like a, a problem, right? Like, and, and potentially a solution to a set of problems as well. And so you'll notice something like this and and lots of all the planets sort of have like, a, I guess you could call it a gimmick, although I think that's perhaps uncharitable as a description. They all have like a geological feature like that, like something where you're like, oh, that's, that's really cool. That's interesting. And then you'll explore around and you'll find writing from the Nomai people, which are this alien race. And you have a translator for uh, what they were writing. And that will tell you more information about them and about the planet and about their exploration and that kind of thing. And then from that, you'll essentially learn things that then you're like, oh, so now I should go check out this thing or like, oh, so, you know, maybe the way I think about, you know, the the moon is different. Maybe the way I think about the black hole is different now. Maybe, you know, maybe there's, you know, an area that I thought was inaccessible that could be accessible because now I've learned this one thing that, you know, tells me about black holes for example right so that's sort of the way the game functions in terms of how its exploration and puzzle solving is it's more it's trial and error in the sense that you are encouraged to definitely try a lot of things and look at a lot of things but for the most part it's that your exploration is rewarded and it recontextualizes things that you've already noticed or already seen like a lot of the I guess a lot of the stuff is almost obvious in that it's in your face, but the way you think about it changes throughout the course of the game, if that makes sense. It, it does make sense, yeah. It's not like 
it's not like you go up to an obstacle and you're like, oh, I'm going to try and do this and then no, that didn't work. So I'm going to try and do like, I'm, I'm going to use the, the ice beam and then the lava beam. And then the, you're not going to like do stuff like that. It's more, yeah, it's, it's just so, I guess, information based and context based. And a lot of the time you'll find, so what will typically happen in terms of the flow of the game is you'll go explore somewhere and you'll either think you've explored everything or you'll see something and you'll be like, okay, I can't get there. And you might like do some trial and error. You might be like, okay, I can't, I can't figure it out. There's something here and I want to access it and I can't access it. So then what you do either, so either you think, oh, I've, I've seen everything here or you think, hey, there's a thing here and I can't get into it. Then you normally go and explore other planets or other uh, areas. And then from those areas, you'll get information about areas you've been to. And so then you'll go back and you'll be like, oh shit, like, you know, they discovered on this planet that this thing that's also on this planet or this thing about this other planet, you know, works like this. So then once you figure that out, you go back and then you're like, oh, there's this whole other layer to this place. And that that's essentially... Me, it, it all makes sense now. Like, Yeah, like, that, that's kind, sort that of the of structure of the game typically in terms of you'll like go somewhere and then from that place, you'll learn about other places. So you're kind of like building up this complete picture as you go. And that's also why it doesn't really matter which place you go to first, because you're not going, you're not likely to fully uncover all the secrets about a place on the first time you're visiting it it takes you know time for you to build up this knowledge and understanding of sort of the universe as a whole to then be able to go back and you know figure more stuff out and then go back somewhere else and figure more stuff out so yeah i I really love how the game's structured it's a masterpiece in terms of how everything is done i should talk about as well there's an update a next gen patch coming september 15th so not too far away for ps5 and xbox series x so you may as well wait for that to be honest before you play it because it's only a couple of weeks away at this point uh, the achievement list is a lot of fun there's reports that some are glitchy but i'm i don't want to call bullshit on it but there's a couple of things where i feel like it isn't glitchy it's just people don't realize they've not met the achievement requirement if that makes sense so there's one way you have to complete the ship log and there's a few log entries where it like like it will tell you in the game it will be like there's more to find here if there's if there's more to find which is really nice as well because it you know it's like you say to to avoid that like trial and error aspect the fact that the ship log is like hey you've not found everything here like and it will essentially bookmark it for you so you don't have to like get like a pen and paper or or note things down it's like you know you've been to this this place you found these pieces of information and it will write out the information that you've discovered from it. But it'll be like, but there's also other things here that you've not found yet, uh, which is really helpful. But there's a couple of things where it won't appear on that like ship log map and it won't tell you there's more to find here, even though there is like a couple of extra, they're almost like secret ship log entries. So I'm pretty sure the people, I mean, it, it might not be, it might be glitched, but it's got like a glitch tag on true achievements but i'm pretty sure that it's not at the moment and that it's just that the ship log says it's complete but it isn't actually complete like there's well there isn't like a percentage thing on the on the ship log so it doesn't say it's complete but people think it's complete when it's not complete i'm pretty sure is what the issue is there so yeah so that achievement might give people some trouble to fill out the ship log completely the other achievements are fine. They're a lot of fun. The achievement list is designed in a way where you can beat the game and you won't get a single achievement, which can be frustrating, obviously, for some people. You'll be working towards getting the ship log complete. So, you know, it's not for nothing. It's not like 
you're not even getting progress towards anything. But I don't think there's even an achievement to beat the game. So the achievement list is a ton of optional things and they show the level of detail and the love and care put into the game. And they're all different side challenges. A lot of them are worth a lot of game score as well. And the only annoying thing for me is that a lot of the achievements end in uneven gamer score. So like not a zero or a five. And I don't mean even as in, you know, like two, four, six, eight, obviously, because, you know, five isn't even. But, you know, like most achievements in games, they, they either end in a five or a zero because it helps you keep like a gamer score at like a nice, a nice number that people like aesthetically. So... This game has achievements that end in six gamer score, which means that if you get like a six gamer score achievement, you need to make sure to get all the other ones. Otherwise, you will always like forever basically have your gamer score end on an awkward number. But I will say the positive is that the hardest achievements are worth like 90 points and usually end in a zero or a five. I don't think there's any difficult achievements that end in a six. So the fact that all of the ones that end in a six are quite easy means that you shouldn't be stuck on like an awkward gamer score number because there's a few achievements that are quite tough there's one to land on the sun station that requires like really good flying controls and is quite it's quite fun actually and that one's worth 90 points so yeah i found the achievement list quite fun there's like a bunch of there's like a bunch of dumb stuff like to like ride a wave for like 10 seconds and stuff like that and you know to land on like this really hard object like object to, to land on that's orbiting a uh, orbiting a planet or, or the sun and yeah it's a it's a good achievement list it's a lot of fun it's fairly difficult but shouldn't cause too many problems i didn't get stuck on an achievement for very long but it was cool to play through the game and then be like either look out for some of the achievements or to be like okay so i've done the game and now sort of as like a final tour of the game i'm gonna go get these achieve like focus on these achievements afterwards and that, that's pretty good. So highly recommended, fun achievement list, amazing game. Pr- should probably play it, like the game itself is better than the achievement list. The achievement list isn't that good. So you should play it for the game rather than the achievements. But, you know, we're an achievement and trophy show. So I feel like I, I need to talk about that kind of thing. And the achievement list is definitely fun. I've also been playing Fall Guys. I'm one achievement away, but I'm pretty burned out on the game at this point. And it's kind of annoying because the final achievement for me is to buy 50 items in the store, which it always sucks, I think, when you have... I'm not a- against having an achievement that's like, buy some items from the store, but when you, like, in the amount of time that you play it, I've probably played 30 hours at this point, 30, 40 hours, it sucks when you've, like, done everything else and the one you have left is the store one because I know, like, at all times, I could spend money, like, real money, to speed up that buy 50 items thing, And I don't really want to. I don't want to have to. I want to be able to do it from the in-game money. So not a fan of that achievement. That achievement kind of sucks. It should probably be a bit easier. It should be more generous with the kudos and things like that. I did buy some Cuphead skins with real money, so that's sped it up a bit. But I refuse to like spend real money just purely for that achievement. Like I'm not going to just buy shit that I don't that I don't want. Like if I actually want the skin and I want like the thing for my character anyway, either to like support the game it's based on or to just have fun with it and it just looks aesthetically nice, usually both, then I'm okay with buying stuff, but buying stuff for an achievement feels I don't know. It feels it feels shitty. It shouldn't really be designed that way. Yeah, that I wouldn't like that either. Like it's just it's a lot. <laughs> so 
I've also been playing Power Wash Simulator. I think I've got maybe 10 to 20 hours of the game left. I'm at, I think, 670 gamer score out of 1,000. And I've played 22 hours. So I've played a, a lot of this game already, just over halfway. There's so much content in this game. I think I have a couple of like two to three hour levels left and then lots of one hour levels. And they're normally quite comfortable. I kind of don't like the ones that go on for like two hours because I'm just like, let it end. The ones that are like one hour are the nicest in terms of cleaning stuff. Uh, yeah, fun game. You know, I, I don't have more to say about it really. Okay, also been playing uh, Crash Team Racing, Nitro Fueled. So I want to first shout out our friend Sean Mason, who we love dearly. He has inspired me to get all of the Crash completions. He's got the Insane Trilogy Platinum, the Crash 4 Platinum, and the CTR Platinum as well. That's amazing. And I, I never did CTR, so I have Insane Trilogy and Crash 4, and now, now I have CTR. But I'd barely played CTR when it came out, and I was enjoying it, but I think I just got distracted by something. And this game's amazing. It feels really, really satisfying to play. It feels quite daunting at first, or at least it did to me, because the way CTR plays versus other racing games and other kart races, it's got like a big difficulty curve, especially at the start, and it, it plays in a really unique way. So the way you win on harder difficulties or time trials is you want to be power sliding all the time. So you use like the bumpers to initiate a power slide and then you time the other bumper to the one that you press to initiate the power slide to get a boost and you want to get perfect boosts. And you want to chain these three times in a row to build up more and more boost and to go around the track basically permanently power sliding and building up this boost. So when you learn the shortcuts and the routes and everything and it all comes together in like this flow state it feels like you're like speed running it feels like i feel when i play mirror's edge sometimes where it's just this incredible like adrenaline and like you you can barely keep track of everything all going on and it's sort of only when you like sit back and watch it afterwards you're like holy shit like that's that's crazy like it requires so much focus and so much effort and it just feels great when you build up all the skill that you need and it is another one of those games where it's like you don't get upgrades you just upgrade your own skill and I love that when games do that. I've talked about it before where I feel like if you can make like a, a, if you can make, there's kind of multiple ways to do upgrade systems in games and, and how you feel like you're upgrading yourself. I think somewhere they're just like generic and like given to you and given to you in like a fucked up order. It's like that, that kind of sucks. Ones where you get like permanent upgrades, but it feels like you earn them and that you like have to master something to get them that they feel pretty good. But the best is like where there's no upgrades at all, essentially. And the only thing is your experience that makes you like noticeably so much better at the game. And you sort of build upon the mechanics like the upgrades aren't even upgrades, but they're like always there. But they're sort of hidden mechanics and hidden techniques or hidden shortcuts that you then discover and that you can then use consistently. So... For example, like I already talked about the power slide and boosting, but then what you can do is you can get something called sacred fire and ultimate sacred fire or blue sacred fire, which is where when you go over like a boost pad, it gives you a speed boost. But if you've been building up like the smaller speed boosts from the power slides and um, the timings on those turbos, you have something called reserves, which is basically like an invisible meter that is... When you boost, it's like using up it's using up the boost and the turbo. But if you power slide over and over and over again, you're essentially building up boost faster than your car can use it. So you have like this reserve built up of boost. 
And so if you get a like turbo pad that gives you sacred fire or ultimate sacred fire, not only does it give you more speed than the regular boosts from power sliding, but it also uses up the reserves that you've built up from the power sliding. So what this means is if you can keep power sliding after you get on one of those turbo pads, you have like the ultimate speed boost from the turbo pad, but you keep it going perpetually. So you never lose it, which gets you to like ridiculous speeds. And it's necessary for some of the time trials, the the hardest time trials that people hate and is the main roadblock to completion. You need to maintain this like ultimate boost that you can't get any other way from the bo- than from the boost pads by building up this reserve system that's sort of hidden, like a hidden mechanic in the game to maintain it through all the laps. But when you can do it, it it feels so good because it's like you're not just worried about getting around the corners, which are a lot harder to get around when you're going faster, as you can imagine. But you're also worried about almost this like mini game of like finding like the perfect line to be able to not drive around, but to power slide around so that you're constantly building up more and more of this boost so that then when you get to the the pads that speed you up or after you've gone off the pads you can maintain it lap after lap and some of the tracks require require it on both uh, the hard difficulty and adventure mode and for the time trials especially but it's like this whole like secret technique that you end up learning and needing and it just feels so satisfying once you master it and then there was another thing of like you can if you break in the air it doesn't get rid of your boost and when you break, you can make much sharper turns. But if you hold down the brake button when you touch the ground, you immediately lose all of your boost. But if you hold brake and reverse at the same time, it like doesn't count as braking. So you can brake, reverse, and turn while boosting, and you'll maintain the boost. And people call that U-turning. That's really good for like super tight turns. And there's just so much... like It feels like speedrun attack stuff that you can do in the game with like complicated button inputs it almost becomes like a fighting game at that point because it's like you hold yeah. reverse and you're trying to turn in a direction at the same time while also power sliding and building up boost and you're like keeping track of all these things at once and then there's like enemies shooting items at you and you're trying to like dodge them and deflect them and things like that so it's like and then there's the worry of like the hazards that are on the track and falling off the track and it's just so much to keep track of that it's the muscle memory that really comes in and like building up skill over time. Cause you, you're essentially like, it, again, it feels weird because it, it does feel like a fighting game or a rhythm game almost because you're like the first level of skill, I guess, is being able to get around the track, like being able to get around the track without falling off, understand the, the obstacles, understand when you need to turn left, turn right. And then you build up this level of like, okay, now can I do it with the boost? You know, now can I do it with cutting this corner? Now can I do it with these shortcuts? You know, can I do it with air braking and U-turning and that kind of thing? And then eventually it all comes together and it just feels so amazing to do. So we also spoke about, I wanted to bring up, because you asked me with Hollow Knight if I use the D-pad or the analog stick, right? Because, yeah, or or Rogue Legacy as well. This is a game where you really want to use the D-pad. I think I used the analog stick for a bit, but for CTR, you like, you can tell it's designed with the D-pad. And you need such like a clear level of precision in terms of directional inputs, especially for stuff I was talking about, like with U-turning and power sliding, where you have to hold reverse, which is down, while also, sorry, U-turning and air braking, where you want to hold reverse, which is down, while also holding like left or right, and then holding the square or the X button to brake at the same time. 
So for that, you like pretty much you, you can do it with the thumbstick, but you want to do it with the D-pad, honestly. And what's really cool about when you power slide as well is you have control over like how I don't know, I'll say how shallow or how deep the power slide is, if that makes sense. Like how how much you so let's say you're power sliding to the right, like how sharp that turn is to the right. You can change that based on which directional input on the D-pad you use and also the character stats that you have. And that's really useful with the D-pad as well, because sometimes you want to power slide, but you want to be able to power slide without going around a corner. So you have to be able to power slide in a straight line, which is obviously quite difficult. And so what that means is you like initiate the power slide by going to the right. So you jump to the right, but then you hold left while you're power sliding. So it's like your, your car will never straighten out to the left, but you'll keep power sliding to the right while essentially going straight because you're counter steering to the left while you're doing it and stuff like that. You pretty much need the D pad for, in my opinion. I mean, you, you can do it with the analog stick, but it's, it's way harder. It, it, and it feels so much better to do it with the D pad as well. So yeah, I feel like I've learned a ton about CCR in the past few weeks. I'm sure like, I feel like a lot of the listeners are going to have no clue what the fuck I'm talking about. And some are going to be like, hell yeah, this is the, this is the stuff. Yeah. It honestly, like a lot of people have said like crash team racing is definitively like the best kart racer. And just like stuff that you've explained that I had no idea about. It definitely makes sense that people say that because it sounds more like, you know, players really intimately learn how to do this. And there's cool tricks that you have to really, really use in this game. It's so Yeah, you, so you have to for the platinum. You don't have to like, you probably don't need to learn air braking and U-turns to get the platinum, I'd say. That was like the last technique I learned. You need to know how to maintain Sacred Fire and Ultimate Sacred Fire, definitely, for some of the entropy times. You probably don't need air braking or U-turning, but it's one of those things where it saves you so much time that it actually makes it easier if you do learn it, because it gives you more of a margin on the times. Because if the AI doesn't use it and you use it, that's like five seconds, like taken away from your time or added to theirs. So it's really beneficial to learn that kind of stuff. And if you want to beat the dev times, which you don't need to, you'll absolutely need every trick in the book because they use everything. The dev times are insane. It reminds me of like Crash 4 as well. Crash 4, the dev t- the devs are like incredible at these games, like ridiculous at these games in terms of how fast they are. Yeah, it's, it's really complex and, and deep mechanically. And I love it. I think it's my favorite kart racer. And it made me think as well about how like the first three Crash Bandicoot games, like Crash Bandicoot 1, Crash Team Racing and Crash 4 are like so difficult. Like they're pretty mainstream in terms of platformers, but in terms of like all the mainstream mascot platformers, Crash games have to be the hardest. Like they're brutal. Like normally I feel like indie platformers are known for being like for really pushing it in terms of difficulty, especially for optional stuff. But for the Crash games, there's there's really you have to be you have to get really good at these games to like I don't know, better at these games than I feel is expected from than from like most mainstream developers to get all the trophies and achievements. If that makes sense. I don't, I don't know if you'd agree with that. That makes sense. If it, it feels it feels like you have to know like some speedrun techniques and like secret techniques to actually get all of the achievements, which normally in AAA stuff feels like it's not it's not a thing for most developers. Uh, but I mean, essentially, if you're learning like speedrun stuff, that's kind of like learning like quirks of the engine and like things that are kind of broken in a way about the game that 
but they are intended so it's i don't know it's just such a a love letter to the original crash team racing and nitro kart and they're uh, asking you to become an expert at the game yeah which is like i think an a reasonable ask for someone who's going to get the platinum i think well they're so because they're remakes except for crash 4 it's like they're so aware of the original mechanics that it's like they've they've made sure to preserve those tricks and those quirks and like put them into the remake or the remaster which is really nice because i feel like other developers would be like let's make it so that doesn't work anymore let's let's fix it but it's such a i don't know i I love stuff like that when it it's kind of like bunny hopping in like games that are in source or i mean games that aren't in source i think can have bunny hopping as well but it's kind of like that where it's like it's not really intended that you should be able to increase your speed that way but it works and it kind of adds this extra layer to the game that I, I really like. So yeah, great game. Uh, I didn't find the completion too bad. Surprisingly, uh, my thumb really hurt from holding down the a button for so long. And, and uh, I think when you, when you're playing, at least when I'm playing, because you're going so fast and you're so focused, you tend to grip the controller tighter. So you press down the a button harder. And so I think that might be the reason uh, my thumb hurt for like a day afterwards, but the completion itself isn't that bad. Some of the time trials are really hard, but I was surprised by the amount that I got on my first like three tries or so. And I think for most players, it will be the same because the first track, Crash Cove, it's really hard in terms of the time trial for entropy. And it's really hard on hard mode in adventure mode as well. And it I don't know if it was intentional for it to be this hard, but you do Crash Cove in both modes, and then basically the first half of the game is easier than that first level. It's only when you get to like the final four tracks that it becomes similar difficulty of Crash Cove. And part of me wonders if it's intentional, because it might be like for like the hard difficulty and for the hard times, it might be that they make the first one super difficult to almost be like a barrier in that like hey you need to get like really like you need to learn all this stuff and you need to get like really good to attempt these tracks like almost like a gatekeeping type thing of like this is how you know this is where the bar is at like you need to be this good to to get in right and then you get like a drop in difficulty for a little while once you've like passed that like entry check i guess so i'm not sure if it if it is intentional but the first map is really difficult and one of the most difficult in terms of the time trial and hard mode. So the good news about that is like, if you can do that first track, you can probably do the whole game because there is stuff that's harder than that, but it's like only a little harder. It's like 5% harder, 10% harder. It's not like, it's not like 50% harder. It's not like there's a big jump after that. Like once you've done that, once you can do that, you're going to find a lot of stuff easier than that. And then the final stuff is harder, but you'll have built up the skills by then that you'll be okay. So I'd say to people, don't give up on Crash Cove or or maybe do give up on Crash Cove because if you find that it's like way too hard that you're like, there's no fucking way, maybe try some other tracks if you can in terms of the time trials, uh, like Roost, Tubes and things like that, like like the next few tracks, Coco Park, tracks like that. Try those and if you can beat them, maybe then go back to Crash Cove afterwards. Or if you can beat Crash Cove, you're like, you're going to be loving life because you can... You'll, you'll be able to beat everything else. So people should know that's kind of like the barrier to the completion, really. That's where the bar's set. If you can beat that, you'll be fine. It's a huge filter moment. But other than that, the completion is... It's okay. I mean, it's... it's I've already sort of said, really, that in terms of AAA stuff, it is a really hard completion. But it's so skill-based 
that and it's not that much of a time commitment. I think I did it in about 20 hours or so, maybe 15. It's not too bad. I mean, it will depend how long it takes you to get good at the game, I suppose. But in terms of once once your skill level's there, once you learn the tracks, you'll have learned it. And you'll find as well that at least I found, and I feel like other people have, have said the same, it's once you've got it like locked in, you'll not only be amazing at that track, for a long time or forever you'll also be a lot better at other tracks so like once you've built up that skill it will transfer over to the other tracks so it'll make it feel faster like it'll feel impossible at first but then when you get good you'll be like oh okay i can do this i can do that and you'll get some first try in terms of the time trials and the hard mode stuff most of it by the time i did the hard adventure mode which is what i did last i ended up beating most of the tracks first try against the ai because it was just like i was already good enough at it from the time trials and i think people will be the same. So it will seem really daunting. And at first you'll be like, oh fuck, like this one track is taking me, I don't know, three hours or four hours. And if every track takes me four hours, you know, it'll take me 500 hours to beat this game. And and I can see that people might get um, stressed out and worried about that. But my advice is don't because once, once you get it for one, you'll get it for a lot of others automatically. And that skill isn't going to disappear. So it's not as bad as I thought it would be. It, Crash 4 is probably the hardest completion out of all of the bunch. It probably goes Crash 4, then CTR, then Crash Bandicoot 1, then Crash Bandicoot 2, then Crash Bandicoot 3 is probably my rankings in terms of difficulty. But yeah, it's uh, it's fine, mostly. I've also been playing, so I have two more games. I've been playing Cult of the Lamb. and Oh, nice. I really want to hear about this. Yeah, so this game is really fun. I think you'd love this game, honestly because it seems up your alley in terms of like roguelite elements and also stardew type management and farming type stuff. But I feel like I need to warn people in advance before I say a lot of positive things that the completion is unobtainable on Xbox. So the unlock all achievements achievement is broken and it's also impossible to get loot from snails, which you need for one of the key items for an achievement. It's the same way on PlayStation. I did look it up. So maybe wait for patches before going into it. I've sort of suspended my playthrough because I really don't want to outpace the patch. As in, I don't want to be like done with the game and then have to like wait ages for the patch. So I'm kind of like, oh, I'll I'll get back to it when it's patched, I think. So that really sucks. There's also a bunch of glitches. The game's quite unpolished, which sucks. I've had glitches where the UI will like it. One of my followers will give me a a quest and it won't display what the quest is. Like it will just say like this person wants and then it'll just be blank. Like it just won't fill in, which obviously is really bad, especially because the quests are time sensitive. So it's like, you're not going to tell me what it is. I have to guess what it is or I have to try and look up like a wiki or something to figure out what possible quest it could be. So that's really annoying. The other annoying thing is that when you do rituals, sometimes the game will just soft lock. Like your followers will be around you chanting, like ready to do the ritual, but it will just never do it. So you'll just be like locked in an animation forever and you'll have to close the game and reopen the game and then it'll fix it. So all of that really sucks. But despite that, the game's fantastic. I feel like it's a roguelite. So half the game is a roguelite dungeon crawler. So kind of like Hades, but the combat isn't as refined. The enemies aren't really that interesting. Um, the gameplay for so I'm not really a big fan of the roguelite dungeon crawler type action like action roguelite combat stuff. I don't think it's particularly strong. I think it's fine, 
I think if the whole game was built around it, this game would be really mediocre. It would probably be like a bit worse than Undermine, I guess, which isn't really that interesting of a game. Although that game's that game's pretty good, but it, it wouldn't be sort of this game that people are hyping up and very interested in. Because the combat's quite, I don't know, one note. Uh, the weapons don't really change how you play. The enemies don't really pose much of a threat. They just do one thing and... I don't know. It's not. It's not particularly compelling. The room layouts aren't really interesting either. There's not. There's sometimes some traps, but they're not hard to avoid. They they don't get really very creative with it. Perhaps it changes towards the end because I only got about halfway through the game. So, you know, take take all of my words with a grain of salt in that sense. But for me, the the combat is probably the weakest part of the game. But during this segment of the game, you're basically getting resources and followers for like the management section of the game so the other half of the game is sort of like people compare it to like animal crossing or stardew or forager or that kind of thing where you go back to your cult and you have to keep your cultists happy and stop them from dissenting while you're also trying to improve your cult so you're trying to keep everyone fed you know give everyone good meals and different meals have different effects and you're also learning new rituals you're also putting in there's ways to like make commandments or doctrines, so ways to like teach the cult uh, principles, and you can choose. You have like a choice of two principles to teach them from each category. So, for example, for me, I taught them that stealing is good. Basically, I I uh, I taught them that they should give <laughs> me awesome. all of their money whenever I ask for their money. Yeah, then and you know I, I enforced uh, shakedowns among my cultists to to build up revenue, which uh, wasn't. Probably not a great idea for the long term for the cult, but was good for the short term. And you have different paths to go down in terms of that. So there'll be decisions you make in terms of which structures you prioritize to build as well. So you can you can build like um, like mines and um, lumber yards and stuff like that. And then from from like the wood and the stone, you then you know can get refineries, and from that you can you can get metals that you can then build more elaborate structures and so on it's kind of you know pretty standard for the genre i'd say but you can name your cultists you can sacrifice them you can do lots of various rituals you can get married you can do all of, all of those things your cultists will give you quests to do as well uh, which i mentioned earlier in terms of them glitching out but usually they'll be quite interesting they like to pull pranks on each other as well you know they'll be like make this guy eat a bowl of shit or make this guy eat a bowl of grass. Or... Oh my God. I had, um, so I named one guy Edwin and for some reason he really got obsessed with a uh, poot, another person. <laughs> oh so these are, these are people that I know. And um, Edwin really wanted to, to prank him all the time, but the pranks weren't pranks, which was quite a good storyline. I think it, I think it's a, um, like it's like procedurally generated, but basically he wanted him to, he wanted me to prank him to get him to, eat shit and then he wanted me to do it again and he was like oh it'd be even funnier this time and then after i did that he was like oh it'd be really funny if you uh, lock poot up in jail so I, I did that but i was like okay this is getting this is getting weird i think you just hate this guy like i'm pretty sure you're not trying to prank him you just you just fucking hate the guy and you're just like hey do this do this to him lock him up in prison so then afterwards he's like oh what would be the most like epic prank ever is if you murdered him and he's like now you should now you should kill him so i did that as well I killed oh him. my god <laughs> because at this point i was like how am i going to get out of this because the problem is is i've 
appeased Edwin for too long. I've been like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. I've been very suggestible. And so now he's like, now you should kill him. And he's really excited. And I don't want him to lose faith in me because he believes I'm the divine one at this point. So I've sort of really dug myself a hole, but I'd unlocked the ability to bring people back from the dead, which is amazing. So in the end, I, I, I managed to keep everyone happy somehow because I did kill Poot, but immediately afterwards I brought him back from the dead, which in a way is like the ultimate backfire of the prank on Edwin. So yeah, you get like all these different side quests and sub stories from your cultists and everyone seems to get different ones, which is really, really cool. You can also get like, I remember first seeing it in Assassin's Creed, but it, it I guarantee it will be in other games before, but you can build like a thing that lets you send your followers out to like collect supplies and go on like missions for you. And it gives you like a percentage success chance i think it was from assassin's creed brotherhood i saw it in first or revelations one of the two um maybe in assassin's creed 2 actually but yeah you can you can send out your cultists on missions and the higher level they are the more likely they are to be successful so you can do that as well and you can get resources that way you can get resources from the actual dungeons that you do and i remember when i play I tend to just want to do all of the like settlement building like cult management stuff i find that way more fun way more interesting you can get them to pray to you and then if they do that you like build up devotion and you can use that to like level up your character to like unlock new things to build and also unlock new weapons for the dungeons and stuff like that so it's like really detailed in how it's built out and how you can play it and you can choose what to focus on first and what to prioritize i mean that again typical of this genre i feel like even though you can choose there's a lot of stuff that feels basically mandatory or, or stuff that you should prioritize. And so it's cool making those decisions because then when you get it right, like when you make something and like it turns out to be awesome and like amazingly useful, you're like, hell yeah, like I built up towards this great thing for the cult that is so useful. Like originally when you build beds, they're just like sleeping bags and they can break really easy, easily and then you have to repair them and that costs more wood. But eventually you can build up to better and better shelters. So it just always feels like you're building up towards stuff, which is really gratifying. Like it, it just feels like you're actually, it, it's crazy because it's quite, it's quite dark in that the cult is obviously not a good place to be. And you're like not a good, a good lamb. You're not a good, a good leader that people should be following. But at the same time, you are like making these crazy improvements and industrializing that you become quite proud of it. Like even though it's twisted and messed up, you're like, oh, hell yeah, this place, this place is great. This place is so functional now. Like originally there's no toilets or anything. So people just like throw up and poo and all of that on the floor. And then that can make people sick. But then it means when you eventually build outhouses, you're like, this is a huge improvement because things were so bad before. So there's lots of stuff like that where it feels quite satisfying. The other negative I have, I guess, is that the game's very easy, and I think probably too easy, and there's no achievements tied to difficulty. So there's no real incentive to play on a harder mode, and you don't get like more resources on harder difficulty. I think that would be a good way to balance it. Like some games do that where like you get more stuff if you play on a harder difficulty. So it kind of like, it's kind of like makes the game easier, but more reward, or you get more of like a particular type of resource that, that might be useful. Maybe something to buy cosmetics or something, but no, there, there's no real benefit to playing on a harder difficulty and there's no achievements for it. And also there's no, it would be good if there were separate difficulties for the dungeon stuff and for the 
management stuff because they're so like disparate they're so disconnected gameplay elements that like i don't find the combat very fun but i find the management stuff really fun so it's almost like i'd rather have like maybe the combat on like easy but then the management on very hard but there's not really an option to do that i don't think so that that's kind of awkward although i think generally you kind of want to play on hard because normal feels way too easy but then the problem is, like I say, like it's a trade-off, like because if you play on hard or very hard, the enemies become more spongy, and then it is annoying in itself because you want to be away from the combat and more in the management section of the game. I'm so glad that you talked about difficulty because when you said it's a roguelite, I was like, oh man, I'm kind of burnt out on those right now. Like I just did one that's so difficult, and then you say this one's too easy, and I'm like, well, that's in this case in this specific case for this game that's very chill and like about building and stuff and like there it seems like the roguelite part is maybe more uh, not the center piece it's kind of like split you know yeah so it it feels like it's not so bad which is nice because i i don't know if i want another like headbanging game yeah some of the stuff and, and yeah i feel like you can i mean i guess what you could do is uh you can change the difficulty at any time so you could also turn the difficulty to easy when you go to the dungeons and then turn it back up when you leave. But I think what's quite cool about this game is like um, the clock is always running. So the way they intertwine the dungeon stuff with the management stuff is while you're in the dungeon, like time is still progressing in your cult that you've like left. So like people are getting hungry, people might be getting sick, people haven't gone for their daily sermon, that kind of thing. So you're pressured in the dungeon to like get through it as fast as possible so you can get back to your cult to like feed them meals and and that kind of thing right so that's a cool element as well because it kind of makes you you only want to leave to do a dungeon when you feel like everyone's happy and everyone's doing well but then you also feel like you need to go to a dungeon to get more resources although i'd say probably another weakness of the game is that like i said before i really love the management stuff a lot more and I found that there wasn't really any pressure to go back to the dungeons in terms of like, I reached a point where I could just make everything for myself that I needed or find it somewhere pretty much. So you end up getting into these cycles sometimes where you just do like five or six days in a row where you're just managing the cult and you're not doing any of the dungeon stuff. And I feel like that's a weakness because there probably should be more pressure to go get stuff from the dungeon. Like there should be a push and pull about it that's a bit more aggressive but yeah it's really chill in terms of the difficulty and in terms of feeling what you need to do and when sometimes when you go into the dungeons as well like each dungeon has like a main boss there's like four main bosses and some of the bosses will like mess with your followers so like one of them makes your followers sick like and it's like meant to be like a thing where it's quite cool in that you're like going through the dungeon to get to this boss to kill him and he'll like show up and be like hey i just made six of your followers sick and you'll like see it happen and so then it's almost like a sort of go away type thing, like because then after you beat that dungeon, you can't immediately go to do the next dungeon to get closer to the boss because you want to go back and tend to the people that are sick. So it's cool how they mix the different gameplay elements in that sense, but they could probably be tied together a bit better. But yeah, I think it, both halves complement each other quite well. I think one is definitely stronger than the other and I'd recommend it because yeah, it, it is really chill in terms of, a roguelite for sure that's man it's so exciting and i just want to uh i I'd probably will just wait for a sale on this one or wait till it gets patched out because yeah i mean I I think ha- i've a... seen 
I've seen quite a bit of problems with it, but it, it's so it's so interesting how like f- fundamentally good the game is to where even with bugs and stuff, people still are like really rallying around this game. Yeah, it's a fundamentally good time and it's pretty cheap as well. I think it was only about £20. So yeah, for me, I'd probably wait for patches and then get to it. I think it's a good game as well in that it's nice sometimes, like you say, about chill games, and it's nice especially in terms of roguelites because roguelites tend to demand, and I say demand rather than require because I think it is sort of a, it, it feels like a demand from the developers a lot of the time to have like a thousand hours of your time or like a hundred hours of your time uh, to devote to it because either it's very difficult or it's got 18 different secret endings or when you beat the game you get another character and then you beat the game with them and you get another character and then you beat the game with them and you get another character and that character uh dies instantly when it you know walks into a room too quickly or whatever and not that that's bad i don't think i don't think that's that's bad design but i think unless you're super into roguelites um which which, you know i've talked about i love the genre I, i play loads and loads of them more than most people definitely unless unless you're like me you might find that really tiring because you can't really i i feel like even even for me if i'm going from like the binding of isaac to spelunky 2 to enter the gungeon all of those get to slay the spire all of those games are fantastic but in terms of if you want 100 percent them and you want to do everything in them it's really, really daunting and really difficult and requires a ton of hours. So Cult of the Lamb, to have roguelite elements, but to be like a 20-hour completion, if it was actually possible to complete the game, uh, which it isn't, but but when it gets patched, it will be like 20 hours to complete, and you just go through it once. You essentially do one playthrough of the game. You know, you do every level once, every dungeon once. You get your cult to a certain size. You unlock all the upgrades on the tree, and that will take you about 20 hours and then you do it and then you're done with the game and it's like, okay, that's that's over. I feel like that's quite that's quite nice once in a while. And it's probably nice for you know, for you who, you know, you you don't want to sort of have have like a brutal roguelite where you have to smash your head against the wall to to beat it. But my final game is Spirit I don't know if you've played this or have you heard of this or I have heard of it, but I don't know much about it. Okay, so Spirit it's a bunch of games are leaving Game Pass at the end of the month, uh, which is typical. Uh, I don't think I think it's quite a lot this time, and it's quite unfortunate because it happens to be a ton of really good games. So Hades is leaving Game Pass. Uh, what Remains of Edith Finch is leaving Game Pass. Uh, Mist is leaving Game Pass, and Spirit Fair is leaving Game Pass. Wow! And all of these games are fairly renowned for being great games. So fortunately, I'd already beaten Hades. Or already beaten what remains of Edith Finch, but if you haven't, you should go play them immediately. Absolutely, they're very good. Uh, at least I'm give them on, a try. At least give there. at least give Hades a try for you know for a bit. Yeah, for me, I'd say give Edith Finch a try because that game is so. Oh yeah, so and you can beat Edith Finch within two hours. So just, yeah, yeah, it's just it's a one it. sit. Just enjoy that time. Yeah. It's so unique and amazing. Yeah, and you know, do that and uh, give give a couple of runs of Hades a go and see how you feel about it. That's what I, that's what I recommend there. But I've already done those, so that that's fine. But Spiritfarer is another game that's leaving, and I've heard great things about it from both personal friends from reviews. I think the review scores were quite high for it. I know Yahtzee from Zero Punctuation; he gave it his game of the year when it came out, and I respect his opinions. And it's this indie game where it's another management type game. You are it's kind of similar to Hades in that it is like 
mythology based, I suppose, very loosely. But you are, so you are the titular spiritfarer, which means you take people who are at the end of their lives and you go on a journey with them. I suppose it's kind of like across the river sticks, but it's not really a river in the game. Um, but yeah, you, you take them on a journey and they're to- it's like their final days of their life and you want to make them happy in terms of their last requests. And it's really a relaxing, but an emotional and kind of devastating at times experience because it's quite slow paced. And, you know, you're, it's kind of like cult of the lamb in that you have followers, but you only have a few and they're very, uh, deeply written. And, you know, it's not like procedural. It's, you know, the characters say the same things every time and they're actually fleshed out characters and they have requests, but the requests are deeply personal. They're not, you know, I guess like filler quests or anything. The requests are to do with their lives and to do with their regrets and to do with things that they want to find out about, you know, their husband or or that kind of thing. So the game's quite affecting in that sense. And on your boat, so you have this boat and you can go to lots of different locations and those locations uncover more of the map and you discover other locations and you're gathering resources and on the boat you build up like different properties so you'll have like a house for each of the spirits you're taking on their journey and you also have you know stuff stuff like fields and orchards and refineries and things like that as well to to convert resources and normally what happens in the gameplay sense is you you'll like pick out a place that you're going to sail to and then while you're sailing you'll like talk to people or you'll water the crops or you'll you know refine some ore or uh, go fishing or that kind of thing right so you go on a journey to different places and then and then you land at those places or or dock at those places i suppose and you'll go off your ship and explore each of those locations and some of them are towns and some of them are countryside and and things like that and some of them are mines that you go visit and each one's like handcrafted and unique and i feel like more of the game is about the atmosphere and the story and how personal everything feels rather than the gameplay the gameplay feels like you're in a in a loop of sort of producing stuff and it's kind of like mindless it becomes mindless in a way because you're constantly sort of like oh i'm i don't have much of this type of wood or i don't have much of this type of food and i I need it and so so you you know you you're constantly filling in for your deficiencies that way while also slowly progressing these quests and talking to people but you find so much of the personality so much of the charm it it looks visually beautiful the game but so much of it is based on the interactions with the characters the quests that they have and ultimately it feels like it's a meditation on death, meditation on life. A lot of it is about letting go as well of, of people. Yeah, dude. It's, you know, I looked it up while you were talking about it because I really just kind of wanted to put this image in my mind of what this is. And I went to the website. Uh, it's a game by Thunder Lotus, right? Yeah. And their their actual website for the Thunder Lotus games like has a little trailer and I was watching it. Dude, that art style is so good. It's so good. But then at the top, it like, the, the summary of the game is a cozy management game about dying. And I'm like, holy fuck, dude. <laughs> that's like, that's kind of heavy and awesome. Like, Yeah, it's such an interesting premise. It feels like, um, it, it for me, it's not, it's not doing that much new except for in terms of gameplay, but it is doing a lot that's new and inventive in terms of how it tells its story and how it 
makes you bond with these people because it's quite clever in in a sense because some of what you're doing is quite mindless but you're doing it for a, like a long time while on like a journey with these people who are at the end of their life and a lot of the people as well have a personal connection to well all of the people i believe have a personal collect connection to the protagonist so that the person that you're playing as obviously not to not to the player in real life but to I think her name stella the yeah the spirit fairer so it has that interesting dynamic about it as well and it's really good i think it's really relaxing but also it's kind of deceptively relaxing because the fact that it's relaxing makes your mind wander and then that makes you think about a lot of the themes and a lot of the yeah a lot a lot of the themes that the game's going for essentially so yeah i'd i'd highly recommend it before it leaves game pass for people to check it out I, I was on my backlog for a long time, but I never found the right time to do it. And it's kind of awkward because it's quite similar in terms of gameplay to Cult of the Lamb, at least half of it. So it kind of came at an awkward time. I think the game's probably better than Cult of the Lamb because I was thinking about it while I was playing it. And Spiritfarer doesn't really have, like I said, like the roguelike combat stuff is the weakest part. Spiritfarer doesn't have any of that. Like it, it's all like, resource and management stuff which you know is worse for variety but it's kind of replaced that with a deeper story and it doesn't weaken its own gameplay i suppose but also you know the lack of variety is a negative as well so you could you could go either way with it the games aren't really that comparable they're just comparable because they're the both they're the two most recent games i've been playing and the management stuff is similar but yeah really enjoying spirit fairer I've played about, I think, 10 hours of it or so, and I think it's around 30 hours to get all the achievements, so I've got a long way to go, but it's it's fantastic, and it's it's not really like anything I've played before. And it's chill in the sense that I don't think there's a way you can lose the game. There's no, um, there's no fail states in this game, really. I mean, I guess the fail state is that because you, you want to keep everyone happy and you want to find out uh, what their favorite food is and sort of build out their house and upgrade their house and that kind of thing. The, the fail state feels like disappointing people is the fail state, which is kind of like a uh, real life in that sense that, that you're, you're more worried about like the relationships you have with these characters than you are with like, you know, like, Oh, you, you fell in a, a spike trap and now you're dead. You know, there's, there's none of that kind of thing. So that, that works really well with like that helps boost um, how much you care about the characters and how much, you focus on that aspect of the game, which fits in with the story, of course. So yeah, great game. Recommended. That's really, really cool. I just added it on, on backlogged.com. Uh, I just added it to my backlog. Yeah, I, like, I, I think you'd really like that it's game right as up my well. Alley. Like, but yeah, both, yeah, both of those last two games are, uh, would be perfect for you, I think. That's so awesome. And is, uh, is that it for you? Yeah, that's it. All right. Well, so, okay, so I finished Rogue Legacy. I got that platinum and I feel so good about it, dude. I felt so good about it. I'm so happy that it's over, but it's also like bittersweet. But yeah, I mean, I didn't have to do too much that day. After, that day that the last day that we recorded, I got it about two hours after the show, two or three, and I'm done with that. That was platinum number 234. And then I grinded a lot on Ghostwire and I was kind of talking about how it, that game is just such a collectathon and I was using I, I it was good for that moment to like watch TV and kind of just turn my mind off and just kind of play it. And I learned a little bit about Japanese culture and I had fun, but 
stuff that I was talking about was like there's three full attacks and then there's like a couple of these like seals that you can throw. So kind of like uh, grenades or I don't know. They're like weird status things that you can do with the world. Like you can throw down a thing like a bush to hide in. And so the gameplay gets very repetitive, very fast because you have three attacks. Say you use like a exposure talisman where it's like an area of effect and you throw it down. It's like you can do more damage to the to the the ghosts that are in it or the spirits and like then you just switch back to the three attacks that you have and you just keep going at it and it just it didn't feel like very fun or rewarding and especially the skill tree wasn't very good either and that's kind of why i'm saying it's so mid it's just like how could you have a game with so many collectibles and then you kind of are just doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and that's disappointing but the art style was really cool i liked the story of it and I, I couldn't get over how cool the, the like the art style was in each of the spirits. Each of the spirits has great write ups on them. Like it explains a whole lot about Japanese culture and like what those what the spirits mean. And it was it was really cool, especially like you like rip the core out of all these spirits to release them. So you're using your attacks and eventually the spirit just opens up like a core in the middle and you can like grab it. And then you're like they, you know you're pulling on this ghost wire that's attached to the core in order to snap it. And like the animations for that always look really, really cool. Especially if like you go and you reach into, into one of the spirits. I, I, I like those animations a lot, especially because the, the spirits are kind of creepy. And when you get up close to them, it does this animation where like they get right in your face and it looks like they're just trying to get you before they die. And then they just vanish. And, and like the colors and stuff look really, really cool. So, I mean, visually, very great story, decent. Just the gameplay is where it kind of falls short and kind of makes it really very mid. But again, it, it fit what I was looking for. So that's that's good. And that was Platinum number 235. And then something that I played was MLB The Show 21. And this isn't the newest game. It's it's a year old, but I had bought this last year when it was on sale for like 30 bucks. And we're trailing towards the end of the baseball season and i was like yeah it's a good time for me to like go after this platinum i really want to like play it and i hadn't played so the last mlb the show i played was mlb the show 15 and it was on vita and the jump from that old game to this new one was awesome now i'm gonna try not to go into it too much because i know a lot of people don't like baseball or sports but they there's a new player that is kind of breaking ground for baseball like we haven't seen anybody like this since Babe Ruth, which is a pretty commonly known name in baseball. And this guy's name is Shohei Otani and he's a pitcher, but he also is such a good batter that whenever he's not pitching, he is batting because he's so good, but he also is fast. So he hits home runs, he steals bases and he pitches really well, really very well. And so in the minor league system of the ba- of baseball, the show is like, a mode in the game where you start out as like an amateur baseball player and you try to work your way into the pros and baseball has levels and it's like hard to progress. Cause you're like, you're playing with the amateurs and you have to really show that you're better than the amateurs. And then they promote you. And there was like three trophies tied to just getting promoted each time. And the cool part was because of that player in the minor league system, they're trying to develop what they call a two way player. So you get to choose if you want to play like, you get to choose if if you play a position, bat, and pitch. 
And I'm like, yes, sign me up for that. Because on MLB 2015, if I wanted a pitcher gameplay, if I wanted pitcher gameplay, then I would have to make a separate save. And then for a fielding player, I'd have to make a separate save. So if I, depending on my mood and what I wanted to play at that time, I had to switch saves, which totally fucks everything up. And now that with this like new two-way player, I was blown away that the, the mode literally had everything. And I was like, this is like so gamified. Like that, that's what you want. Like it, the weird thing about MLB The Show is that it's a simulator. It's a baseball simulator. And then they made it more gamified by letting you play all of these positions and do all of these things because we haven't really seen anyone in the pros really do that besides that one player. So the fact that they let you develop your your player that way is like really, really fun and really cool. So I really was enjoying my time with that game. And the Platinum was not hard at all. I mean, like maybe a four out of 10, like just took time and like, kind of just spent like two days and I got the platinum. It wasn't really too bad at all, but it was perfect for what I was looking for, you know? I wanted to, um, so it fits in with, so you said the, the platinum wasn't, wasn't too bad. Mm-mm. I saw there was, um, was it The Last of Us Part 1 remake or something? There was this whole, uh, I don't know if I'd say controversy. People, people seem to have a lot of reactions to the trophy list being easy and the trophy list of first party stuff being easier. I don't know if you saw this. There was like a there was a post from Powerpix where he said like, oh, it was it's like an internal policy of, of Sony to have easy trophy lists or something because they don't want trophy hunters to not want to buy the game or or, or something. And so people were like freaking out about that or something. I don't know. I don't know if you've you've heard of it. You're familiar with it. I have not, but this I need to look into it because I don't know. They ha- they're onto something, but they're not. They need to focus more on the problem, which is like bad trophies. Bad trophies are the problem. Not difficulty, bad trophies. Don't do RNG. Don't do bullshit grinding. Don't do stuff like that. Just if you want us to beat it on the hardest mode, fine, go at it. I think that's a reasonable ask. But if you're asking for like, you know, get 30 of this thing that's RNG, it's like, fuck you. Stop doing that. And then, you know, it's just the stuff that's really unattainable. So I think that I think that if their policy was like make it attainable, but it like still difficulty or still like difficult, I think that that works. But depending on their policy, if it's just like be easy just to be easy so that trophy hunters buy the game, I don't like that. But but this game wasn't like, oh, I just had to like coast. It's like I had to put in the time and effort in order to get the platinum. I think that someone playing it casually won't just stumble upon the platinum. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, like um I feel like some of the criticism I've heard seems a bit unfair because it doesn't seem like the the first party stuff is given to you for free. Like the only game I really heard that about was Ratchet and Clank and that's yes. that's like aimed more towards younger children, so I, I kind of get it, right? Like it makes more sense that for yeah. you know that game would be a lot easier than Returnal, for example. Um and and it's interesting you bring that one up because it it has a pretty hard trophy. It's not like the most difficult, but there's this one where you're supposed to absorb projectiles into this shield weapon, and then you're supposed to use the projectiles to shoot back at the enemies, but it's kind of tricky and challenging because you're supposed to do it like, I don't remember, 20 times or something, but when you do when you when you shoot the projectiles back, it does two things. It shoots the shield like it shoots like a wave of the shield and then it shoots the projectiles, and the projectiles go further than the shield does. So when you're getting this trophy, it doesn't count if the shield part hits the enemy. It has to be the projectiles that they shot that right, hit the so enemy and kill the enemy. It's a 
manage the range, right? Yeah, um, so you have to manage the range and it's it's kind of difficult because the enemies are constantly moving and they're like trying to get close, but that's not that crazy. Like it, you there's a arena that you can like go in there and practice and try and it'll take like an hour. But then the problem with the ratchet and clink list is that you don't have to complete it. You don't have to. You don't have to max out all the weapons. You don't have to play through all the story. You don't have to like it, it, it you can get it so much before you could you finish the game. And I'm like, why? Why would you do that? Yeah, why that, would you- that's always weird. I was thinking about it too because I was thinking the contrast is funny because people are now sort of like, hey, some of these like some of these PlayStation first party lists, it seems like they're getting easier generally, and that they're sort yeah. of too easy potentially with you know the 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 newest games that appear and people have, have like question marks over God of War Ragnarok at this point, but. You get like the opposite with Xbox first party where I think I've complained before that it's like, it's weird to complain about it because they, they do so many updates to so many of their games. And I obviously understand that with like live service stuff, like of course you're going to do updates, but they add loads of achievements and a lot of them are so difficult that it's like, it feels like you're never secure with a completion because it's like, you're going to get it like taken away from you. And that can be quite frustrating, but it's like, it's, it's more content. So it's good, but it's, it's, it means you have to devote so much time to one game, which is bad unless you really, really love that game. And I was thinking about it being the op because, um, you know, like the, the exception for Xbox, I feel like is psychonauts too. Like that has a pretty good list that takes like 20 to 30 hours or so. Like it's like a decent, Decent length, decent difficulty. But then, like, Halo Infinite has, like, 1,600 gamer score. It has, like, only 1% have the completion. Forza Horizon 5 is a really, really hard completion. Microsoft Flight Sim takes over 1,000 hours. The other two take over 100 hours each. And then stuff like Sea of Thieves. Like, Sea of Thieves right now, it has 4,100 gamer score in that game. Only 69 people, so 0% have it completed and it takes over a thousand hours and it has 11 discontinued achievements. So it's like, you've got like potentially like completions that are too easy on one end. And then on the other, it's like, unless you devote like all of your time to this game, it's like impossible to get the completion. It's like, it feels like they've gone in like two completely opposite directions in a sense, but there's exceptions for both as well. Like it's much more nuanced than that. Like we said, like Returnal is a harder completion and then Psychonauts 2 is an easier completion. So you get, you know, it's not, it's not quite that, uh, drastic. You can't compare the most, uh, the most sort of egregious on both sides, but it, it's interesting nonetheless that you've got like one side, it feels like one side wants like easier completions. One side wants harder completions at this point. And, uh, it's tough to get that balance right, I suppose. Yeah, and it's really interesting that you brought this up for two reasons, okay? So the MLB The Show Platinums have always been very, very hard. Like, n- not because they're difficult, it's because of the RNG bullshit. It's like baseball games have a lot of, you know, chance things that happen, foul balls and things like that. And I mean, on the old games, dude, there was so much ridiculous stuff. Like, make sure you catch a ball in foul territory, make a diving catch. And it's like, you can't set up a scenario where those things happen. They just naturally happen as you play and you just have to get lucky. And it's just like, it was ridiculous, the the old list. And now they made it easier. And I'm, I was like, yeah, I will buy this game because... You know, I can actually attain the platinum. It's not like it's a cakewalk, but at least it's not RNG 
bullshit. You know, it's it's nice and attainable. And you then you mention you know easy versus hard and things like that. And it's I'm just about to start. So I downloaded it uh, earlier this week and I did the prologue of Sifu. And this is a game that I've been saying I'm going to play for a while. And the game launched with only one difficulty. And now it's got two extras. It's got an easy mode and a hard mode. And I on the main screen, it says like, it doesn't say developer's intent, but it says the classic experience, the way the game is made to be played or whatever. And I'm like, I, I don't want to go to easy on this because I want the, the platinum to be the original way that they intended. I think that once they added easy, because like everybody complained, it just like devalued that platinum and then it became a lot like easier to get and and i i think that the people who got it before the patch of easy have something to complain about now because it's like they did it the normal way and i want to try to get it the normal way i had a conversation with someone where it's like there's no moral high ground to doing it the normal way but it's like yeah but it it's like games are becoming a very easy to platinum and it's it's almost like a cheat code just to get your your completion. And I, I kind of don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I really do miss games that were like, I couldn't get that completion. I mean, that would be nice. I feel like it fits in with our with our topic about the stores, right? Because, oh, yeah, we um, you now more than ever, you essentially you are like the only you have to make a decision of like what you want your platinum portfolio or uh achievement completions what what you want it to look like what you want that landscape to look like do you want just to get like the number as big as possible in which case you know you just get these 10 minute completions over and over and over again yeah or do you want to so that you know there's there's other other attitudes of like do you want do you want to focus on good games you know some of the best games ever like recently i've i've been playing like on my backlog tons of like acclaimed games you know ga- games that i've heard amazing things about and and those have been the focus of my completions recently or do you want to go towards you know and and i sort of don't care about difficulty in that sense like if the game is great then i'll go for it you know regardless of of difficulty or are you looking at it in terms of i want really difficult games or only difficult games and some people do that and they look at like i want you know really really rare achievements and trophies because now the actual number of trophies and number of achievements is so devalued that the only real value is to get something that's like super difficult or super rare. And I feel like I've got like a bit of that as well. Like I like, you know, I'd, I'd like to go for, you know, I, I enjoy going for difficult trophies and achievements because of, well, just achievements, but achievements correspond to trophies, obviously. But I like to go right. for that because I find that fun and I find that sort of validating. I like getting really good at something and, and feeling, um, feeling like I've achieved something. I, I enjoy that. So yeah, it feels like now you've got like this crossroads in terms of what you want to go for in terms of that stuff. Yeah. And it's, again, it's really interesting because I go for quality games. I don't necessarily go for easy, but if they turn out to be easy, it doesn't exactly bother me. It's more that I just care about playing good games. And that's how I've always been in my life. It's like, I want to play good games and to kind of open up this conversation for the topic on the table is like the bad games are destroying the system. Like we've talked about this many times on this show, like over the past year. And my stance is pretty clear is like, I do not do cheap platinum games. Like I just don't do it. I, it ruins my account. It like whenever someone clicks on, on my account, cause I spend a lot of time on discord and I'm like in several different trophy servers and trophy channels. And it's like, 
when we share our information, if I click on somebody's account and I just see a bunch of garbage and like 600 platinums or whatever, it's like, I'm not going to look through your list to find the quality games. I'm just not going to do it. So whenever someone clicks on my games, they're like, wow, these are all legit games. It's like, yeah, they're all legit games because I'm not going to sit here and buy 10 second platinums for just the watch the number go up. Like I want you to see what I'm playing because that's what I do. I play games, you know, like I don't play garbage. I play good games. And this this new system on like on P- on PlayStation, which I I think Xbox has like a nice filter of like indie games and and like spotlight stuff, but like it's getting so much worse and I didn't even notice it because like there was a short time where I wanted to boost my completion percentage for a uh, New Year's resolution that I made. I was like I want to get up to 72% completion percentage. And so I bought some of these Radalika or Radalika games and even those like those are like an hour or two completions, but they have like mechanics. Like they were actual games, even though they weren't good games. They're like, I did the midnight games and it's like, you're a little blob and you like jump around. There's spikes and stuff. You can die. It's like, you're, you're trying to get through this level, collect as much stuff as you can before you die. And it's like, you know, the platinum is based on, can you get a certain number before you're dying? And it's like, that's a game. But these new games that are on the store, like uh, I, I'm going to take this directly from um, Brian's Twitter, uh, which Brian is PS5 trophies. And he said that there's this new, I I don't know if they're new, but they're becoming quite (laughs) abundant, but they're called thigh games or tie games. And they have published somewhere between 20 games since, since May 15th of this year, but the games stack across 80, 80 games. So it just, in just 75 days, they've published 20 games and you can get 80 platinums. And it's like, what the fuck is that? They, and it's the game is not even like, you know, you don't you don't play a game. You it literally is press X for trophies. Like that's what that's yeah, what the game are, is. There's even a game called Press X for Trophies. Yeah, what is that? Like at this point, I, I've mentioned before, you essentially are just paying money for trophies or achievements. Like you're just making yeah. a direct, you know, like a, a direct swap of you know, I pay this amount of money and I get this amount of trophies in return. Like it's not I, even. It's it's not even a game attached, and uh, I wanted to mention as well. So there's there's been a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of uproar about the PlayStation Store curation and the situation yeah. with trophies. But things have gotten worse on Xbox as well because, and I don't know how it's happened, but so indie games, all games have a thousand gamer score, but you can update the game to add more gamer score to it. So like I mentioned, Sea of Thieves has like 4,000 gamer score now because all right. of the seasons, they have more achievements. Well, some indie games have started doing this. Um, I mean, Outer Wilds has done it with its its DLC and that's you know totally fine, of course. But some of these like achievement fodder games have started doing it where there's games where it's like a free thousand gamer score, but now it's a free 4,000 gamer score because they've just done like title updates to add even more achievements. And from what I read, there was some pushback from Microsoft. Like I think someone over there was like, because there were a couple of games that were like uh, 2000 or 3000 gamer score. And they were just like obvious, just like you're basically buying the game for achievements. And I think they got told by Microsoft, like, Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna like get rid of this. Like you, you're not allowed to do this anymore because like, we know what you're doing, but then I don't know if anything came of it. I think it might have for those indie devs, but I've seen recently lots of games do it. And I feel like what's probably happened is there's probably like a few people over at like the Xbox store curation team 
who have said to like a couple of developers, a couple of indie developers, like, hey, you can't do this. Like, obviously, you're not actually adding any content to the game. You're just adding more achievements and they're really easy, you know, that you just get in them for free. So don't do this. But it feels like there's so many devs that have probably realized like, oh, shit, we can do that. We can make money. It's probably outnumbered. Like, like whoever's on curation, it's clearly not a big focus for Xbox or for PlayStation that it's probably like they can probably catch like one in 10, but they can't, they can't catch all of them because what a lot of these uh, developers do is they'll like, so they'll release the game, right? With a thousand gamer score. And then it will be like eight months later, they patch the game to add more achievements. So if you're like the person working or the people working like, the store curation it's not coming up as a new game it's an old no. game and obviously on the xbox store there's going to be hundreds of thousands of games so you know this is going to be a release from eight months in the past that's added this gamer score like it must be really hard for them to catch in a sense if they're not like focused like you could have like a team or a person dedicated to it like you could just have it so like that's their job and then they'd catch it but if they're you know, their responsibilities are going to be lots of different things. They're not going to have time or be able to like look that far through the store to find and catch all of this stuff unless they're like specifically looking out for it. So, you know, that there's a problem there on Xbox too that wasn't a problem in the past that's made this even worse that you can get one game and you can get 4,000 gamer score out of it and it's just for, you know, there's no challenge to it. Yeah. And it seems like the more hardcore audiences are starting to get away from that because i think for a minute it was like funny it was kind of charming and funny like with the my name is mayo games they're like oh you know you're clicking a jar of mayo that's really funny but now they're not funny they're just really garbage games and not even video games dude they're just hold x for trophies which is so bad and it's kind of frustrating because you know i was if you do research anyone like go out there and watch some videos on this you're going to find videos of all of these content creators who are bringing this to the light, which is a great thing. But the bad thing is, is like they're buying all of the games. It's like, stop doing that. Maybe buy like three of them to show like what's going on. But I mean, content creators are literally buying every single one of the 20 games yeah, released and, since and, um, March. It's like, bro, you're just supporting them. Yeah, and it's like, also going to advertise them. And also the these games are made for so cheap and churned out so quickly that if you know like even like a hundred trophy hunters get that game which they will if they've heard of it then they like make the money back so it's like worth it to have like this bad reputation because enough people are buying it to like boost their trophy count or their gamer score that it that they make money from it you know they don't make lots of money from it but they make enough money to make it profitable and to make another one dude it's two pn it's two pngs like that's what the whole game is goes into it is yeah tiny so yeah, I mean it's a it's a problem. I mean, I've I've done it in the past in terms of you know getting my my gamer score higher. But yeah, I yeah. think uh, you're right in terms of people seem to have moved away from it now more and more. And it's always been like it's always been the case that trophies and achievements they don't mean anything, but right. what they represent can mean something in terms of yeah, you know they they are like they're like authentication or proof of you accomplishing something in a game, and then that accomplishment can mean something even though the trophy count the achievement number that type of thing that doesn't mean anything the actual like achievement you know that says like i've beaten halo 2 on lasso for example it's like a 
you know, it's like a stamp that I can, I can do that and that I have done that. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of doing it in terms of, uh, you know, gaming accomplishment, you know, it's like, um, it's like, it's like playing like ranked stuff in games, right? Like if you get to like global elite in like counter-strike or like onyx in halo or, um, you know, apex predator in apex legends or something, right. It's kind of like the equivalent of like a multiplayer thing where it's like, you've got to the max rank competitively and you know that's something you can be proud of and it's you know a sign that you're really good at this game or whatever so you know achievements and trophies are meaningful in that sense but now the actual number and the actual amount of platinums is so uh worthless because of this stuff that i feel like there's no going back at this point like that's just what you know achievements and trophies just feel like they mean something different now really they really do and and something very important to me is just i love you know this. I love talking about video games and I love just just the conversation around video games. And so that's why I'm in so many trophy discords. And whenever we're able to like look at games and compare games and then, you know, someone's like, you platinumed Red Dead 2. It's like, yeah, now let's talk about how awesome Red Dead 2 is and how incredibly hard that that there's like a respect there, you know, and it's like it's it's not exactly the trophy that's like the addiction. The addiction is more like I get to interact with other people who understand like how fun it is to try to complete games and and like their journeys with this game or that game. And when people are burying their accounts with these garbage games, it's a little harder for that to happen. But it's it's so much like I said, it's so much fun to just be able to talk about these games. And like that's that's why I trophy hunt. Like I see I see people in discords all the time where they're like, I know it's not that much, but I just got my my 28th platinum. It's like, dude, good job. Good, like, that's 28 games. And I know that you're not buying them for, like, a dollar because your your number is realistic. Like, you know, it, it, it really does show, like, this is how many games that you've, you're, you've played and completed. And, and I love that. Like, that's that's one, one of the best things. I just wish that it could be almost these trash games could just be eradicated from the system yeah, but get, obviously it'd be good if they did some i mean they're not going to do anything about it i don't think but no they won't the, it'd be good if you had like um if if there was a way it was like auto categorized and like not necessarily like retroactively made worth less but like i'm thinking about so it kind of annoys me because um so i i have quite a few of these like easy uh games nowhere near the level that um these like recent like two minute ones but like yeah i have a few like easy ones that it's funny because uh, as we've said before the the problem's gotten worse over time so it was like originally it was like the easy platinums and completions were typically they were like six to eight hours and it'd be like oh six to eight hours that's really quick and then and then it would become like four hours and then two hours and then one hour yep. so i've got like i've got like the whole spectrum at this point and that i've got like some easy completions that were like you know real games right that were like four six eight hours and then you know i've got like one hour ones and i've got like a few like 10 minute ones that i would say don't count as real games but an annoying thing about it is that you know you look at it and you'll look at like my list of games on true achievements for example and you get like loads of like real games and you know you can you get information on like oh he's played this much of that you know oh he's wow he's played you know 150 hours of payday 2 you know let's let's talk about payday 2 right or, or something like that if you look at my list yeah. and you get all of these like real game real game real game and then you get like a block that's just like complete trash like stuff that <laughs> i i don't remember anything about no one's ever heard of them no one cares about them and it's just there and then and then below that there's you know a bunch a bunch more real games and then there's you know another block of of junk and it's like it's a problem because it's like it 
it crowds out the actual games that I'm passionate about and that people are passionate about. And it makes you wish that they could have like a recategorized thing where it's like, you now just get like, you've got like the real games and then the, 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 the junk games and you, and yeah. maybe, maybe you could even customize the list yourself so you can choose what you count on either category. Cause I guess, yeah, high like, junk games. I guess what, what you count is different, but yeah, it's like, um, yeah, that, that's a problem of it. And, and like you say, in terms of wanting to see that like trophy record as a way of like being able to talk about games and to sort of advert, almost advertise the games that you've played and, and that kind of thing, it, it really sort of makes that harder to do. And it means that you have to look through like a bunch of spam basically to find the, the gold. Yeah, because there's in the trophy and achievement community, and I think that you'll relate to this, AJ, but like some of us, some of them, some of us, I'm, I'll say I'm guilty of it sometimes, but we like to like pound our chest and be like, yeah, we have this many platinums. But then there's like the people who are like, I have 700 game completions. And it's like, how many of those are legit? Yeah, no, not very many. Then it doesn't yeah. matter. It's so it's like, I love saying, you know, I have 200 and I think I'm on 236 right now, but it's like, they're all legit. Like there's maybe 10 of them that aren't. And it's yeah. like, no, I mean, if I think if I took away my fake ones we'd be on similar numbers really like i think i added it up and i've i've got maybe i don't know i feel like my my standards can be a bit high sometimes in terms of what i count but i think i think i counted and i've probably got about a hundred or so that aren't that i wouldn't consider to be games which have any significant challenge i suppose is the way i'll term it so i'm on 433 so right. i'm probably on like 300 ish yeah in terms of if if I was to quote like a real number, so yeah, you know, it, it is really different. The the number itself has become meaningless. It really has, because like I really do see people post like that sometimes, where they're like, "Yeah, I just hit my six hundred and seventy first, and it's like, "Hmm, really, really six hundred? I don't know about that." And then I I usually click through, and it's most of the time not that great games, like not that good. But yeah, I mean, that's the topic on the table. Uh, you want to talk about the trophy and achievement of the week? Yeah, sure. So my achievement of the week is uh, Yeehaw, because I just wanted to say Yeehaw, um, <laughs> which is from Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled. I don't know why it's called that, but it's to uh, complete adventure mode on hard. And it was the last achievement I got in Crash Team Racing. And it was nice because after the time trials, hard mode was still kind of difficult, but not as hard as the time trials. You just sort of needed a good run and not like fall off the map a million times. So it was kind of like a nice victory lap i guess a couple of the bosses were quite difficult but it was really nice as like uh this is my last run on like all of the main tracks in the game and it's considered a difficult achievement uh uh, you know cowboys are are cool thanks for reminding me of cowboys reminds me of red dead i need to i need to get to red dead uh redemption 2 at some point that's on the backlog and you know i've been talking about how i've been wanting to play like some of like the greatest games of all time recently, like really acclaimed games. That, that one's love. one of them. Yeah, that's up there, right? There's that, and yeah. there's uh, Disco Elysium, yeah. and I need to play Spelunky too. I need to go back to the Hitman games. There's there's tons out there that I need to do. Also, I mean, we might talk about it in a in a future episode, but you know, Death Stranding's coming to PC Game Pass. Oh yeah. And the biggest thing, like you know, most people don't don't give a fuck. Like it's been on it's been on PC for ages. It, it's still like a really cool get for you know game pass to to get an xbox to get in that sense but it's not on console xbox but the big thing about it for me of course is that it's got xbox achievements 
So it's got a thousand gamer oh. score. You get the completion. It goes onto your Xbox gamer card. So now I'm thinking like maybe I should maybe I should give Death Stranding a try, you know, at some point soon because my, my PC can definitely run it. I'm pretty sure at least I've got a, a, a thirty seventy, so it, it should be okay. Dude, Sony needs to freaking do that. Where like the PC games that they release are tied to the PlayStation account so you can get trophies on PC. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's that's crazy that they don't Dude, that that's yeah. that's really weird because obviously it's very Stranding, weird. Death Stranding's a PlayStation IP. Yeah, so, and and it's um, got Xbox achievements and not PlayStation trophies. What the fuck's that about? Yeah, it's get it, on it, Sony. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it's got yeah, because it'll be published on the Windows Store, and yeah, it's got it's got an achievement list on True Achievements, and um, the only annoying thing about the achievement list is they've kind of fucked Xbox players or or PC. I don't know. I don't know what to call it, right? Because it's it's on PC. It's not on Xbox, but it's like Xbox ecosystem, right? Because it's Xbox achievements. Right. So yeah, like um, the they've only- they've kind of screwed them over, in a sense, because there's an achievement that is equivalent to the platinum trophy, which some achievement lists do. I hate when they do it because it it doesn't make sense with gamer score. Um, but they've they've been like extra mean with it because the platinum equivalent achievement is worth two hundred gamer score. So if you got like every achievement except one, you'd only be on like 750 or like 780. And then that final achievement <laughs> would take you to a thousand. So it's like a really weird, like point disparity. If you get what I mean, like there'll be like a big gap between getting the thousand versus getting like 800 or, or like 700. So, right. But yeah, From- they're, they're, it's got, um, I think the achievement list is the same as the trophy list. So do you have the platinum in that game? I do, yeah, and I want to get it again. I'm gonna get it again with the. They released like a definitive edition, yeah, for uh, cut, PlayStation right? Five. Yeah, the director's cut, and it has extra stuff in it. And I was planning to replay it at some point, but just haven't really dug into it yet. Yeah, with all of the uh, buzz around this game and like how much is kind of spread out, like it, you know, it started at a small point on PlayStation and kind of went out everywhere. And I'm guessing that like the success of of it being everywhere might especially with uh what's his name norman Reedus, he's kind of slipped a couple times like he's working on you know dying light or not dying light uh death stranding 2 and it's like i would love to replay it like closer to that kind of give myself an idea because like the game's got super long cinematics which aj heads up (laughs) like yeah you might literally be watching cutscenes that are like two hours yeah like three hours so he like he likes to make like little movies and then and then you play gameplay for a long time and then you watch little movies and i love that i actually loved it <laughs> it was awesome but like, yeah the game looks uh really beautiful as well i've seen i've seen people play it a bit but yeah i'm uh, i'm interested in it like i don't know if it'll be like a thing i get to soon but um yeah it's definitely because for me you know it was like the achievement support was like okay so i'm in i'm i'm, I'm it'll be cool it'll be cool to uh to do that i think it'd be cool as well because I've not experienced much of Kojima's works. It's I've not gotten into the Metal Gear Solid games, so I've played Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, and I've not played any of the others. And I've played and seen extensively PT, which you know PT is incredible, amazing. Right. So yeah, like it'd be good to play either like Death Stranding or I've I've got the um the I think they were Blue Point, the the remasters of Metal Gear Solid Two and Three. So yeah, I know I need to I need to ultimately play at least one of them, right? Like I've got to I've got to go and commit to to some of this stuff. 
Well, we're very much on the same page here because I didn't experience experience much of Kojima's work either. I actually fell in love with Death Stranding and I liked it so much. I was like, okay, I understand why people think that Kojima's a genius. And what I did is I went back and I played uh, Metal Gear Solid 5. And I know that that one's not like critically acclaimed and they did a lot of fucked up stuff like uh, Konami kind of. Well, I think it got really good reviews, but people had backlash that it felt like it was incomplete. I believe it really did feel like it was incomplete, but the gameplay was really good. And like Kojima's stamp on it, like it felt like his, he, it wasn't finished by him. It was, it was like ideas by him, not finished by him. And so like, I kind of got, got a taste of it. I was like, Oh man, now I really want to play like all of the metal gear solid games. So I'm like in that same camp. I also played PT, but yeah, death stranding is a good one to start with. Cause like, it's the one that made me understand what, the love for Kojima is like why it is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. Again, I talked about it earlier with like cult of the lamb into spirit Pharaoh. I feel like death stranding might be, I might play something more intense might be the right word uh, before I play it because I feel like, yeah, it's very chill. Cause I'll, yeah, death stranding. It's a lot of hiking and a lot of, and, and I've been playing like power wash sim. I've been playing cult of the lamb. I've been playing <laughs> spirit fair. I might need something that's like twitch reflex, you know, like, um, something a bit more like CTR or something just to, just to Sifu, break get on that the, uh... level. <laughs> that's, that's, um, yeah, that game seems great. Sifu. Yeah. I, I can't wait to start it really. Like I think it's going to kick my ass, but, it feels really good. I Like I said, I played the prologue and it feels really, really good. And that's what my trophy and achievements are this week is like uh, stuff that I'm I'm going to be focused on after I beat the game for the first time. But uh, there's two trophies. There's one called uh, Scareless, which is beat the game while being 50 years old or less. And then there's uh, Prodigal Child. And that is beat the game while being 25 years old or less. So every time you die, you get older. And... The game basically doesn't it doesn't say you can't die or anything like that. It you just have to be really good and try not to die as many times as possible throughout the game. And that's what the it's gonna be hard, which is why I think that the original difficulty is so amazing. And like the idea for them kept keeping that around instead of putting in the easy mode would have been way awesome for this game. Cause it's like you did that on the difficulty that they made it on. You you beat the game with dying like two times you know like yeah that's really cool i feel like as well it it fits thematically because it's got like this like martial art obviously martial arts you know combat style and that's so much like mastery right and uh and perfection that it yeah it makes sense yeah it feels really good i'm telling you dude like just the the parries and then like swiping somebody's feet out from under them and then taking somebody and throwing them against a table and then smashing them with something or like after you trip somebody up you you like get onto the ground and like jujitsu them and you're like beating the shit out of it feels so good it's like it's really fluid and it, it it's really cool and like <laughs> someone in the in the uh in a trophy discord was like that game's kino and it's true dude like the 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 way the credits roll out at the beginning you're like in you're in in like this red it has this red background and it's got like japanese text and like names of people and like you know the way that credits do but it's teaching you how to play while it's rolling these credits of the directors and the actors and stuff. And you're just like leg sweeping, you're learning how to leg sweep and you're like, you fight all five bosses during that, during that intro. And it's like, whoa, that's like really, really cool. Cause you won't, you won't see them till later. And it's just teaching you how to play the game. 
but it's like you can tell that the, like the game's about revenge and these characters that you're fighting are it's like oh man i can't wait to like see them and like see how really good they are because you know and a lot of these like fiction things are like don't underestimate your opponent and i feel like you're underestimating them because you get to beat them all in the in the intro and it's like no dude it's not gonna be that easy not even close not even close but it's really 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 pretty very cool art style dude can't wait i cannot nice. wait I'm yeah gonna play good this to talk about it next time it's funny because i feel like with me playing like management games and then uh you playing like uh yeah. intensive gameplay games it's like we've swapped over for for a little <laughs> we have swapped usually you're on these hardcore games and i'm like so astounded i'm like how the hell even and now i'm like playing some of these hard games yeah now i'm playing it. i'm playing like a story heavy dialogue heavy <laughs> chill no fail state management game <laughs> playing seafood that's right <laughs> all right do you have any final thoughts aj no i'm uh i'm excited to play more spirit fairer and then uh then see what's next hell yeah i'm actually i i want to play that at some point because it looks so good it looks like right up my alley so thanks for bringing that game but uh thanks for ever for listening everyone happy hunting peace out see ya Thank you so much for listening to Complete Edition. If you like the content, consider supporting us on patreon.com slash completion club. If you have any questions or would like to reach us, email completionclub at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Complete Edition.